0: So this first day of practice, first day of retreat for many of you, it's not always necessarily an easy one. You know, this adjustment that we need to make. I was talking about this morning this way we need to settle in to being here. We spoke today in the inquiry about this very thing, about what interferes with being here what it's like to be here, you know, this whole kind of aspect of what this practice is about is to develop a quality of presence, present moment, present moment attention to this reality here and now. And so the first day of a retreat, we're often aware of the, as Catherine mentioned, the not being here. As soon as we put our attention on being here, what do we see? The ways that that's difficult. And particularly on a first day of a retreat, you know, we come in with a lot of things from our life, from the outside, that we're, you know, still kind of churning over in our own mind or different issues that we have going on in our life um, that are here that we bring here with us, that can be, uh, can take up some of our mental energy and our physical energy. And everybody really comes in with something. I mean, it's not like anyone really is immune to that. You know, in our daily life, it's not very easy to develop a certain quality of samadhi, of concentration, where the mind is very one-pointed and focused, because there's so many things that we're dealing with all the time. And it takes a great deal of practice, really, to keep a certain degree of grounded attention with what's here now. So myself, I just arrived from uh, California about three days ago. And um, it's not easy coming from the west coast of the United States. It's uh, right now, at least it's daytime. It's kind of daytime now. But when I uh, try to sleep at night, it's daytime according to my body clock. And so the sleep doesn't come very well, very you know, very light, very restless, not feeling so good in the morning. The jet lag, you know, jet lag. And one of the things, one of the conditions, one of the uh, things that can be a potential obstacle to being here quite as fully, quite as uh, wholly as I would like to be. But it fades away, it passes, as all things do. But we're all, we're all bringing something, you know, we all have something. So much of our, um, our practice is really coming into a wise relationship with the conditions of our mind, of our body, of our life. This is really what the practice is about. What does it mean to have a wise relationship, a conscious relationship, to the conditions, moment to moment to moment? in a, sometimes a macro way and sometimes a micro way. When we come into a retreat, as I was speaking this morning, we do have certain conditions here that give support to this um, d- the challenge of being here. We have the the schedule and we have the different activities, we have the teachings, we have the practices. You know, all this that really does contribute to and a support to us starting to settle here and be here more fully. Not so much stimulation coming in from the outside. We don't have the usual distractions, cell phones, email, which are kind of high on the list for most people these days. Certainly email is a high one for me. No, and all the, the different kinds of uh, input stimulation that comes in all the time. Even the visual stimulation from just walking down the street in a, in a town or a city. No. The bombardment of those images and the, uh, uh, the sounds and the different impact uh, on, our, on, our, on our senses, on our body. It's quite strong, very demanding. So we come here and it's a very quiet, serene, protected, safe environment, and we can begin to relax. We can begin to let go. It's really one of the beautiful things about coming into retreat, and we all feel this, we all know this, and I think we really long for it as well. You Know this environment where we can really relax and let go in a safe and protected environment. One of the things that also really is a support for us as we do this practice and begin to settle and become more present, and what I would like to talk about tonight is, is mindfulness of the body. This first foundation in the Satipatthana Sutta, of the teachings of the Buddha, which this practice is based on, this first foundation, mindfulness of body, and how the, the attention, the mindfulness in the body can be such a great support for us in our practice, in our life. And for me, this has become more and more of a very important practice for me, is becoming more conscious, more connected, more in tune, more grounded in my body, which really gives me more capacity to be present for life. Because as soon as I am in contact with the sensations in my body, with the presence of my body, I'm already in direct contact with the immediate reality here and now. Because any sensations, any physical sensations that arise in any way within the body is immediate, direct experience. So through that contact, I'm here. I am here which of course is why the, um, the, the, one of the reasons the walking practice, the, walk, the form of the walking in our, in our tradition is so important because it really helps us and supports us to make contact with the earth, the body on the earth, feeling our feet, feeling the sensations of our feet making contact with the earth as we walk. And, and, and then the sitting through the breath, really feeling the breath in the body, which is the vitality, which is the aliveness, which is the life force that is flowing through this body. The the expression of our vitality through the breathing, through the breath, through the the, the capacity to breathe, really. So both of these, um, primary in um, mindfulness of the body, this Satipatthana Sutta, Satipatthana, the Pali words, Patthana means foundation, Sati is mindfulness, so the foundations of mindfulness, Satipatthana. And it, it is the central teaching for us in our practice. And these are four foundations. And the very first one that the Buddha talked about is the mindfulness of body. And if you look closely at these four foundations, you can see that the Buddha goes from the more uh, gross or physical experience to a more subtle and refined experience. And It's very interesting that the choice of starting with mindfulness of the body, which I'll talk about more, is what really allows us to come into a kind of presence and a unification of mind-body experience so we're here more and more, which then allows us to be, in some ways, a, a, a become a tool for investigation and inquiry and reflection about the more subtle aspects of our existence, of our nature. And so, the, so coming into the body through the breath and through the grounding really is the first step in this refinement of our consciousness. So the first uh, foundation is this mindfulness of body. The second foundation is the mindfulness of feeling or vedna already a more subtle form of mindfulness where we're actually paying attention to the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral sensations that are arising in the body and in the mind, actually. So we're starting to recognize the actual quality of the moment-to-moment experience in the second foundation of mindfulness. And in the third foundation of mindfulness, we're we're examining, we're contemplating uh, mindfulness of the mind, where we're actually beginning to, to know the mind as a mind, of what is a mind. Knowing the mind when it's in a contracted state, knowing the mind when it's in an expansive state, and really starting to get a sense and a feel for this quality of mind. And in that is also emotions and moods and, and just how we start to manifest more through the, uh, both the conceptual aspect of our consciousness but also these kind of these moods and emotional qualities that aren't necessarily so conceptual but yet give a very uh, certain definition to who we take ourselves to be, a way we create a certain identity around ourselves through the mind. And so in the third foundation, we're examining the mind in this way. And in the fourth foundation, it's it's different translations, but it's uh, called the foundation of mental qualities, which really is more about a precise exploration of our mental experience so that we really learn how to work with these expansive and contracted states in order to move to higher and more refined states of consciousness. So this is really where the teachings of the Buddha come in around uh, the, Four Noble, the, the Four Noble Truths and the Seven Factors of Enlightenment and the Five Spiritual Qualities and really starting to be able to identify these different aspects of our mind so that we can come to higher states of consciousness. So it's a really beautiful map You know, that the Buddha lays out for us, this very systematic map to start with the more gross or physical condition of our body and moving to more subtle states of consciousness. And yet that through a uh, refined um, tool of investigation that we begin to refine through mindfulness, all through the mindfulness. (coughs) So this is really what we'll be working with here as well. We're really using these uh, four foundations as a way to, to ground, to settle then to begin to expand and open up so that we can explore more and more of this mind-body experience and not just for a means to an end so that we can become more mindful but more <coughs> through the deepening of wisdom, the deepening of understanding into the nature of this existence of who, who am I? Who do I take myself to be? Who do you take yourself to be? How does that definition come into play? How does that identity of who you take yourself to be take shape? And is it true? We start to bring a certain uh, questioning, and this is what we do as well in our inquiry that we're doing here. We begin to question some of these these, uh, formations, some of these ideas, these beliefs, these um, structures that have come into place that often cause us a lot of pain, but they also cause a lot of joy both the conditions for contraction and the conditions for expansion. And we begin to examine this so that we can move more towards expansion and joy and happiness and contentment and ease and well-being. And we can begin to let go of the ways that we feel more contracted, more conflicted, where we feel the dukkha, the pain in our life and the buddha points out that it is possible to be free of these contracted difficult painful states of mind this is our work to see what is it is it really possible to free ourselves up and how do we actually do that and so for to a certain extent we have to have a relative faith in the teachings and in the practices in order to begin to see results and have evidence for the truth of these teachings. It's really such a, as I speak about it, I really feel sort of the, I I continue to sense the beauty of these teachings and how well um, integrated they are in terms of uh, uh, directing us on a path towards awakening, towards freedom. And as we investigate the teachings more and more, we just find there's so many wonderful and supportive uh, uh, points and, and practices to help us along the way. And so this, and, and one other thing I wanted to mention was that in each of these foundations, when the Buddha is talking about the practices, they're, they're usually, it ends with a refrain. Um, pointing to the mental qualities that are needed to do the mindfulness practice in these four foundations. Talking about being diligent, being ardent, being clearly knowing, mindful, and free from reactivity and clinging. And I want to point out these words because I think the words themselves really point to something for us in our practice, these mental qualities when we're asked to be diligent in our practice. What does that really mean for us? Diligence. Diligence is steadiness. Being steady in our practice. Or being earnest in our practice. You know, staying with our practice. Having a certain kind of continuity and commitment to our practice. Another word that's used, which is quite a beautiful word, is this word ardent. It's, trend, this, uh, it's the only translation I've seen of this particular Pali word. I'm not sure what the Pali word is, but this ardency. And ardency really is a strong enthusiasm. You know, this quality of being enthusiastic about what we're doing. Not thinking it's, a, you know, a drudgery or, you know, oh, why do I have to do it? You know, this, it's, uh, this strong, <laughs> strong enthusiasm or devotion devotion. It's a beautiful word to think about bringing devotion to our practice. That we're devoted to, and what is it that we are devoted to? For me, my devotion is to being free from pain and suffering. (coughs) Devoted to waking up. Devoted to ways that I wake up Affects everyone else I come into contact with, so it helps other people wake up. My devotion, my ardency to this. Ardency also has this kind of quality of a, a passion, pa- passionate, enthusiastic, or passionate, and it often has this sense of of a of a warm kind of a warm passion. So the warmth, uh, the heart, the heart gets involved, and we feel that kind of that that joy, and and a lot of people mentioned heat today. you hear that? When we were asking what was going on in the inquiry, a lot of people were saying, I feel hot. (laughs) So the way this kind of warmth, this passion, this enthusiasm, starts to rise when we start to come into contact with the beauty and the truth of these teachings, and then how that brings forth this um, devotion or this diligence. So the Buddha talks about this when, in each of these four foundations. It's fun to kind of tease it out, to bring it out. What does it really mean for us in our practice? This clearly knowing, mindful and clearly knowing, which in the Pali is the sati sampajanya. It's how the Buddha talks about mindfulness, mindfulness with clear comprehension or clearly knowing. So it's not just this precise mindfulness to what's happening moment to moment, but also wider knowing when you're walking outside, knowing that you're perhaps feeling and you're in a beautiful place, there's these amazing trees, there's flowers all around, there's people who are practicing, it's warm, the sun's shining, you have a certain effect in yourself from all of that. Clearly knowing... Sampajanya, so mindfulness, the the returning back to the moment and clearly knowing what's happening. This is the fullness, the fullness of present moment awareness. And as we become more in our body, more embodied, the body starts to fill out in contact with life as it's moving, through the sights and the sounds and the tastes and the smells and the, and, would well, I always miss one, don't I? Okay, sights, sounds, tastes, smells, touch, feeling, the feeling, you know, the feeling of the warmth, the sun on our body, or this, the feeling of the sensations in our body, and the, the impact of the mind, the impact of the thoughts and the memories, and the fantasies, and all of that, and as we become more present and embodied, we we start to fill out and feel life. Feel life as it's moving, rather than having to be caught in many of our old strategies of fear, or confusion, or doubt, ways we resist, or ways we cut off, ways we withdraw and pull back. We start to have more understanding of that as we pay attention, as we inquire, as we investigate, so we can let go and open up, become more full and embodied. We can talk about the first foundation of mindfulness. You know, it sounds like a fairly um, obvious practice, a a fairly simple practice, but I, I happen to know from my own personal experience that it hasn't been very simple practice. I started um, meditating in the 70s, in the late 70s, and I remember when I was uh, going to a, a school at that time in San Francisco. It was a uh, called Holistic Life University. It was really one of the very first... It's, very, it's kind of fun to put in a time context, because back in the late 70s, there was nothing like, holistic was like a brand new word. People didn't really know about holistic. And I remember I had to, I was living, um, I was living more on the east side of the country, and I started researching where I could study a holistic approach to life. And um, there was like one or two schools available, you know, in California. And so I made my trek out to California in the late 70s, and that's kind of where things started opening up for me. And I remember at that time, mostly from the Rajneesh movement uh, uh, from India, Pune. There were some people who were doing a lot of practices around the body, and getting in the body, and feeling, and expressing emotions, and knowing what you're feeling, and all this kind of, you know, coming into a life a little bit more fully. And so, at my school, I went to the Holistic Life University in the late 70s, and there were some, most, a lot of the teachers were um, Rajnishis who had just come from India, who were bringing these practices. And so it was very new, you know, and, and I remember a couple of, of things uh, where, where we, were, we were continually asked to be with our feelings. Remember, be with your feelings. And I remember so clearly not understanding at all what the teacher meant. What do you mean? Be with your feelings? You know, try explain it for me, please. You know, and and I just couldn't contact feelings in my body, in my in myself at that time. I I was much more head centered at that time after much education and the cultural interest in staying more up in the head and not being so much in the feeling. And I remember we were doing these different body exercises, like Feldenkrais, where you actually feel more directly the subtle movements that are happening in the body or different movements uh, we were doing in, as part of the exercises. And I did not want to feel my body. It was so I just kept spacing out. I kept, you know, just going away, drifting away. And then they say, come back in your body, and I don't want to be in my body. <laughs> And I remember so well that whole struggle of those early years of how difficult it was for me. And when I reflect back on it now, there's a sense of this, uh, and I still can be in contact with it, but there's much more capacity and awareness to be able to be present. Kind of a subtle, kind of a a low-grade restlessness. Kind of in the nervous system. You know, and perhaps some of you, as you become more sensitive to your experience and to your bodies, you can kind of feel that. Maybe sometimes more than other times, where when you get quiet and still, you can just feel this kind of inner restlessness. And kind of sometimes it might feel like an anxiety or even a kind of an irritation. It's very unpleasant, which is actually not so connected to the emotional life at all. But actually, more just the uh, actual experience of being in a physical body, being in a human body. There's a lot going on here, you know. Our, the nervous system, the nervous system itself, is very activated a lot of the time, and so as we get quiet and feel that, it's very unpleasant. And what? Ha- and I and I recognize now after more understanding and investigation, that that was a lot of what I was feeling at the time, that each time I would come back and touch into my body, I would be aware of all this unpleasant feeling and sensation that I didn't want any part of. And so all of my strategies just go right back up into the head, fantasize, space out, remember things, think about things, analyze things, do anything but be present. Particularly in my body, I don't know if some of you can kind of think back to those. You know, maybe you didn't have such a drastic, <laughs> difficult experience in the beginning of your meditation experience, but I I found it extremely difficult in those early years. Uh, my first meditation retreat that I did was a, a weekend, Friday to a Sunday, and I thought that I would jump out of my skin. I didn't think that I was going to be... I actually did think I was going to have to leave on the Saturday afternoon. It only started Friday night. But because the person who was leading the retreat at the time was actually fairly skillful, so he was able to just say, forget about meditating for a little bit. Just relax. Just relax. (laughs) You know, you don't have to be so present. You know, just take a break. Take it easy. You know, take a walk, <laughs> go look at the trees, go smell the flowers, you know, and I just needed to, to take a break, and I did. And then I was able to settle down a little bit more and recharge a bit more, and then come back and make it through to the Saturdays, to the Sunday. That was about it, you know? And so it seems like maybe we, you know, these practices, sound they sound so simple, You know, to be mindful of your breath, or be mindful of the sensations that are running in your body, or your your feelings, or whatever it is. But not so easy. The great adage is, this practice is simple, but not easy. Not easy. So sometimes we can, you know, even be judgmental of ourselves or have expectations or, you know, certain idea that we should be able to do this more easily or be more present or not be so distracted or not be so sleepy, not be whatever, fill in the blank. But it's not easy. We have so many past conditions and conditionings from early childhood you know, all the influences of being in the human body itself, having a human mind. And then learning how to, in a way, to, to come into a relationship, come into a wise relationship with the conditions from, in which we find ourselves, mm-hmm. which we didn't ask for, We didn't sign up and say, I want this, I want this, and I want this, you know. None none of us would have asked for our particular karmic predilection, you know. But here we are. We find ourselves here, whatever that particular uh, formation may be. Who knows why? Who knows why we wound up here? But here we are. And so we just do our best to see if we can come into this wise relationship with ourselves and the way things are. So you might want to reflect on your own experience as I'm talking, you know, just in relationship to how is it for you to settle into your body, to be present in your body, to be with your breath in an easy way, an easeful way, to be able to feel your body in whatever way that you're experiencing it, whether there are unpleasant sensations or whether there's pleasant sensations, how is that for you? What is your relationship with with your own body? And this is only, I'm only talking about this quality of being present with, let alone all of our identifications we have with our body and, and wh- wh- who we think we are because of the body that we have. You know, both in, you know, in all realms, it's, it's, it's health, it's attractiveness, it's uh, energy, it's uh, size, it's color, you know, um, any, any way that we may uh, think about our bodies. All of these different conditions go into determining our relationship and our, our need to free ourselves from the ways that these particular conditions may cause us pain. So all of this becomes part of our exploration. When the Buddha talks about the practice of mindfulness of the body, there's actually six practices that are given For the monks and later the nuns uh, during that time to practice to come more fully into the body, to know the body as a body, he uses the words, there is a body, the body exists. There is a body. The body exists, and you know, I thought I find that interesting because oftentimes in meditation practice, we can think that actually the one of the intentions for our practice is to transcend the body, to actually find a way out to kind of escape this body, and we can do that sometimes. You know, when we have more uh, kind of exalted meditation experiences our body actually begins to dissolve and we don't have such a strong or gross sense of our body. And a lot of us prefer that. We like that. It's like the sooner we can find a way out, the more I'm going to be happy. You know? And sometimes I think meditation practices actually can start to take on this kind of uh, meaning of more of a transcendence. But I think that for us as lay people, as householders who are living in the world and functioning in the world, in relationships with our partners and our families and our children and our work and all the issues that exist in this world, that we actually have to be here, <laughs> we actually have to be more fully present and engaged in a grounded way, in a centered way with life the way it is. So it's a kind of, you know, not that transcendence and moving more into these exalted states aren't very valuable and informative and important for our own understanding about the nature of consciousness. And yet I think we can get somewhat diverted because it can feel really good and we could really want that and crave that, and long for that. And when we're just here, (laughs) with our knee pain, and our back pain, and our headaches, and our difficult feelings, and sometimes we say the messiness of life, the messiness of being in a, having a human mind and body, we don't like it. It's like, let's find a way out. I want to read this um, quote from Ajahn Mun, Mun Buradatta. And I'm not quite sure who this um, teacher is, but my sense is he's uh, uh, one of the elders in our Theravadan tradition. He says, In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature, see the elements that comprise it, see the impermanence, the suffering, the selflessness of the body, while sitting, standing, walking, and lying down, the four postures. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. And I think that's really, too, pointing to these four foundations of mindfulness, starting with the body. Never allow the mind to desert the body. Allow the consciousness to brighten in the body right here, so that we can really investigate the body and the nature of the body for what it is. And then we will see into the nature of reality I want to mention these um, six practices uh, before going on, and then say a little bit more about um, Ajahn Mun's quote. The Buddha starts with the breathing as the first practice in the mindfulness of the body. First, directing us towards the breathing, and you can see, you know, you really, as you as you hear this, you can really see where the way we teach retreats and the way we, treat, we, we teach meditation in our tradition really arises from. you know It arises directly from the suttas, the discourses of the Buddha, these very clear direction, directions that he gave us, the guidance that he gave us in this very systematic way. This is from the Buddha's discourse on the mindfulness of the body. Uh, just a short, short part of it. The Blessed One said, and how is mindfulness immersed in the body developed? How is it pursued so as to be of great fruit and great benefit? There is the case where a, a monk, or I'll say a practitioner in this case, which includes both male and female, there is a case where a practitioner, having gone into the forest, to the shade of a tree, to an empty building, sits down, folding his or her legs, holding his body erect, and setting mindfulness to the fore. Always mindful, he breathes in. Mindful, he breathes out. Breathing in, and then there's this whole thing around breathing in long. One discerns that one is breathing in long or breathing out long, one discerns they are breathing out long. You do that for breathing in short and uh, breathing out short. And so there's very direct mindfulness of the, of the way that one is breathing. He trains himself to breathe in and breathing out sensitive to the entire body. Sensitive to the entire body. And then from the uh, breathing, that's the first practice, the second practice is, is the mindfulness in the four postures. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down. And so this discourse goes on and says, Furthermore, when walking, one discerns they are walking. When standing, one discerns they are standing. When sitting, one discerns they are, are, are sitting. However her body is disposed, that is how she discerns it. And she remains diligent, ardent, and resolute. resolute. This is really the, 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 the container for us, this very simple practice of this contemplation, this mindfulness of, of the breath, the body, walking, standing, sitting, lying down, the basis of our practice here. The third practice in the six practices of mindfulness of the body is the mindfulness of activities when we're moving when we're chopping vegetables when we're washing uh, or showering when we're um, uh, Going to the toilet when we are doing anything at all being mindful which really brings about this kind of dignified behavior, this dignified behavior that uh, Catherine mentioned last night when she was talking about Bhante Gunaratana, who was just sitting here, and Catherine and I are very aware that he was just sitting here, you know, in this this very, very um, uh, awake elder in our tradition. You know, how he is mindful of these Over 200 different precepts, which which are activities and and behaviors, which really bring this very dignified way of being in the world. And so the mindfulness of activities. So the first three of of these six practices are the ones that we do here. These are the ones that we practice on retreat, and this is really what gives shape to the retreat form that we do here. And then there's three more, which I'll just mention, because just to fill out the whole uh, discourse of the mindfulness of the body. The fourth practice is called the 32 parts of the body. How many here have heard of the practice, 32 parts of the body? Just a few of you. Yeah. So the 32 parts of the body is a practice which actually you go through all 32 parts, which is every part of the body, and you contemplate the unattractiveness of the body. You know, all the different fluids and all the different sinews and all the different uh, organs and the muscles and uh, everything that this body actually is. So that one can actually see that there's nothing inherently beautiful about this body, (laughs) any part of it. And the Buddha uses the metaphor of this body, when we look at it this way, it's really like a bag of rice or a bag of beans. You know, that's all it is. You know, there's nothing inherently beautiful about it. So that's one of the contemplations that um, was given to the practitioners during that time. The fifth practice is the practice of the four elements. of of seeing and observing, contemplating the body as earth, air, fire, and water. And that that's really what this body is made up of. And you can do very uh, good practice, very deep practice of contemplating the different elements that this body is made up of and again, so that one sees that there isn't anything inherently solid here, or there isn't anything that we can actually take to be me, or mine, or I, and, and, and define ourselves around. But that really, when we look more closely, one of the ways we could perceive is everything as one of the four elements. And what the, the metaphor that the Buddha uses is as if you would cut up a cow and you just see the parts of the cow, you know, for what it is. You know, it's just this different parts of a cow, just like the four elements. And the last practice that the Buddha gives is um, the meditation on death, which I'm sure most of you have heard about, which you, where you, met, you contemplate on a corpse in decay, which was a very popular uh, practice at the time of the Buddha for the, for the monks and the nuns. Um, I'm sure very very powerful, um, but even in modern day, you know, people use this, do this practice with a visualization, either visualizing um, the, the, the corpse in decay or, you know, using, doing the practice with a, an animal that's sick or wounded and, uh, and, and contemplating that death is inevitable for this body. So again, really uh, as a practice of uh, waking up to the impermanent nature, to the transient nature, to uh, the fact that nothing is solid, nothing lasts, everything is impermanent in in this world, which helps us let go, so that we're not holding on, we're not clinging, we're not grasping, we're not craving to have things otherwise, but really looking directly at the truth of things, the way they are. This is a... uh, a, a, a little story that I really like when we're talking about really contemplating this impermanence from Ajahn Chah. It goes like this: Once a Westerner asked Ajahn Chah, a great, a great Thai master in our tradition, uh, why he had so many material things in his room. He replied. You see this glass, and he held up this drinking glass. He said, To me, it is already broken. While it is still intact on the table, I use it. It even has beautiful colors when the sun shines on it, and a lovely sound when I hit it with a spoon. But for me, it is already broken. It is already broken. And I really love that story. It's a story I heard very early in my practice, and it's something that stays with me a lot. Just in the way, again, coming into this wise relationship with the things of this world. And the things of this world means this mind, this body that I take to be me. It is already broken. Meaning it is already going to fade away. It is already going to disappear. It is not going to last even this mind, and those of us who are starting to get a little older may begin to know that the mind doesn't operate quite in the way that it used to. I don't know about your memory, but my memory isn't so good these days, and I just sort of watch this, this uh, lack of capacity, this inability to draw up things that I used to be able to draw. And this is, the cup is already broken. So we contemplate. This is part of the mindfulness of the body. As we explore, we begin to understand and see more of what's true in the nature of this world. So these six practices. But in all of these practices, they have two intentions and outcomes for us. In these practices of the mindfulness of the body, The first one is to ground us and center us so that we can cultivate this embodied presence. We can be more fully here to know and to see and to investigate, to inquire, to be curious about the nature of this world. This is the first intention for coming more fully into our body. And the second is the insight aspect. It really is the cultivation of the insight. And the insight is into the three characteristics of existence. The uh, anicca, the anatta, and the dukkha. The insight into the impermanent nature. We really see, as we contemplate, as we feel, how, how our body is changing. How sensations are changing. That, in, that not even for a moment do things stay the same internally. We contemplate the rising and the passing in the body. We, Through this, we can have insight into anatta, into the selfless nature, that there is nothing solid. There is nothing solid here that we can call our own, that we can say is me or mine or I, as we see into the nature of the impermanence. And as we see into the Anicca and into the Anatta, this is what gives release to the Dukkha, to the suffering, because then we're no longer holding on to things that are changing, to things that are are insubstantial. And as we let go, this releases the suffering, it releases the Dukkha. And then we see that it's really possible to experience a certain level of contentment a certain level of well-being that we can then say goes beyond conditions because the well-being that we're experiencing is not because our body is necessarily well or that, our, that we've attained some kind of youth finally, which is you know, the elixir that people are trying to develop, you know, or that we've come into some permanent state of mind that where we feel you know, happily blissful all the time but rather we're feeling content. We're feeling a sense of well-being because we no longer demand that. We no longer need that. We, We see the truth of things and the way things are, that things are not going to stay the way we want them to be. We see that the body gets sick. We see that the body ages. We see that the body dies. And through this contemplation, through this reflection, we begin to let go. Because the body reveals the nature of all things. Everything that we need to know, everything we need to understand, we can see right here and now through this investigation. Through this, we really do start to come to a true sense of freedom what it really means to be free. When we talk about freedom, we're talking about letting go. And in order to let go, we have to understand what it is that we're holding on to, which brings us to the inquiry, which brings us to the investigation, to the contemplation. And it's interesting that in the text, there's a particular Pali word, which is um, anupasati, sati, mindfulness, and it has to do with repeatedly looking at something. It's translated as contemplation, this repeatedly looking at something, or to closely observe with a specific intention to understand which is different than just a choiceless awareness or just a, than just being present to what is, moment to moment. But it's actually this contemplating something specifically in order to see the truth. And this is really what we're doing. This is one of the pieces that Catherine and I are bringing to this retreat, is this different aspect of contemplation, where we're taking particular themes, taking particular um, uh, uh, um, views and and looking at them in a way with a specific intention to see what we can understand, as we did today about what is it what does it mean to be here, what does it mean to be here, and taking that theme and repeatedly looking at it again and again and again to see what can open up. This co- contemplative reflection, which isn't talked about so much in our our retreats and in our teachings, because we emphasize the mindfulness aspect so much, it's really the non-conceptual mindfulness, where we're not engaging so much with our thought, with our concepts, with our mind. But actually, we're bringing in a little bit more of the conceptual contemplation. We're actually using the language, we're using words, we're using the mental uh, intellect to look at something to examine something, to see what we can what can open up about it, what can we what can what can be revealed. That's interesting little aspect, you know, a twist of the uh, meditative uh, angle that we're using. Not dwelling in the mind, not getting caught in the past, not getting uh, identified with our fantasies, and not having to figure things out and analyze things. Not that kind of contemplation, but a contemplation where you offer a question into the, into the silence and then see what happens. How does the mind, how does the body work with it? What kind of response is there? Go through the feelings, through the body, through the mind, and letting it all be there. Using all aspects of our being to come into a deeper understanding of the way things are. So this is a, a, a some orientation towards our work here together this week. Or work is just a word that we use. We could also say our play. Or one friend says the, the trouble we're going to get up to together. You know what trouble are we going to get up to together here? You know oh, this this kind of play that we're engaged in here together. So we'll be encouraging this embodied presence. Not just being present, but what does it mean to be embodied in presence? Because we're really waking up places that have been hidden from our consciousness. And as we wake up, as we wake up that which is hidden, what happens is that there's more space. Because these places that are unconscious take up a lot of energy. We may, t- we may say they take up space in our consciousness. And as we awaken, we begin to release and free ourselves up, there's more space. We feel a more of a spacious awareness. We feel lighter. And with that lightness comes a sense of more ease and well-being, more contentment, more happiness. This is the way things are. Things. This is the, the dharma, or the, the law, the way of things. So we begin with these simple practices that we're doing here. You know, just sitting and breathing, contacting the breath as a resource for presence, being connected to the body and what's moving in the body, the senses, how the senses respond, are impacted, moved, touched by life. Or just even the simple practice of feeling our hands, our arms, our legs. Just some simple awareness that we're in a body. I'm in a body. I have a body. This body is here. This body exists. So even as I'm just going to close now in these last couple of minutes, you know, just right now, See what happens as you turn your attention more fully into your body. And maybe just feeling your hands. You know, just feel the presence of your hands. Sometimes I'm just moving my hands a lot, you know, just to kind of bring that awareness to my hands. I have hands, <laughs> you know. And feeling arms, hands and arms. And feeling your legs simple inhabiting. You don't have to go really deep, you know, into the subtle movements of all the sensations in the body. Just beginning to make a grosser contact. Just with the skin. With that sense, kind of a sense of a body. And as you do that, perhaps you feel a little bit more here. Through that intention. A little bit more whole a little less fragmented, a little more unified. This, um, is that quote? I think Thich Han says, this is like when the mind and the body start to come together in the moment. It's like a child returning home after a long journey. Returning home. And sometimes, I liked what Catherine said, I think it was this morning or yesterday, she said, sometimes coming back into your body can feel like a long journey, you know. It can feel like that sometimes, coming back home again. So let's just sit for a moment.